0: My father single-handedly sailed to Valinor, and convinced the Valar to join the war and vanquish Morgoth. So great were his deeds that the Valar lifted him beyond the bounds of this world, to forever carry the evening star across the sky. For many years at day's end I would look up at it, wondering what might he think if he were watching me. Would he be proud of what I had accomplished with his legacy? Disappointed by the countless ways I'd failed to live up to it. But then, one night it struck me that I would be only too happy to hear any judgment, so long as it granted me the opportunity to have but one more conversation with my father. Do not waste what time you have left with yours.
1: From Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to The Rings of Power with Mary and Blake. It's a podcast dedicated to The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime Video. So sit back, relax... And let's chat the glory of the second age. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Mary Larson.
2: My name is Blake, and when you put some daddy issues into (laughs) an episode of television... (laughs) I can pretty much tell you I'm going to like it.
1: Oh, my goodness. It's so funny because uh, last night I asked Blake, I said, so how how did you feel about that episode? And what do you feel like the big thing was about? (laughs)
0: And he (laughs) took
1: something completely different than I did. (laughs) And I smiled because, exactly, Blake, daddy issues in an episode, pulls at Blake's heartstrings...
2: Oh, good God, yes.
1: And I saw this episode in a very different way. So. It, well, it's only
2: because I suffer from so many daddy issues myself yep. that, you know, it, it, I can't help but be like, yeah, okay, you got me.
1: And my dad is basically Santa Claus. You know, so, he's, he's, uh, he's
2: Hagrid.
0: You're a wizard, Harry. He really is, actually.
1: So, I don't really have those kind of issues. So, um, of course, everybody, we want to remind you to get social with us. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Make sure that you grab a screenshot right now, as long as you're not driving. Just screenshot your phone, pop it in your stories, and tag us. Maybe we can reshare it, particularly if it's on Instagram. Um, we can easily reshare that story mention and give you a little shout out. You could also head to maryandblake.com to see our other podcasts because of course we are at the same time podcasting about the House of the Dragon. So if you're into that, we're here with you and we're picking back up the Potterverse for all of our Potter friends. And we have an exclusive Facebook group. So if you just want to geek out about these episodes even more, head on over to Facebook and Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Facebook and search oh Mary God. and Blake and you'll find our Facebook group there. Lastly, this episode is brought to you by MinuteWithMary.com. If you need to get a little skincare or maybe you want a little bit of makeup for yourself this fall to zhuzh things up, maybe get ready for the holidays, I would be honored if you checked out MinuteWithMary.com. And if you have any questions or you'd like some suggestions, just search the hashtag MinuteWithMary and send me a message. Yeah, this girl in your earbuds right now, I'm a real person and I will respond, my friends. I would love to hook you up. MinuteWithMary.com dot com or search that hashtag MinuteWithMary. Let's get into the show. Let's do it. <laughs> This episode recap, here we go. It's episode four, and it starts things off with the queen region, Muriel, um, seeing a big tidal wave, crash and ruin Numenor. Yay, very uplifting. While she's holding a baby. I mean, as long, you know, if that didn't make you feel warm and fuzzy. um, During this time, there's a lot of civil unrest with the Numenorians, I guess I would call them. Numenorians. Numenorians. And Halbrand helps Galadriel get out of jail after she gets into some issues. But, you know, he he gets something out of it, too. And Galadriel is able to actually convince the Queen Regent to come with her to the Southlands to help fight the war. During this, Isildur gets kicked out of the Naval Academy. But he's fine because he's going to be going out west anyway. And it's all good. And then Adar talks with um, Aaron Aaron dear, and tells him talks a little bit. We still don't get a ton of stuff, and the orcs see Theo with the hilt, and they get super pumped because they know where it is. And Prince Durin shows Elrond. A little secret.
2: Very nice. Very nice. All right. So entitled The Great Wave, which obviously alludes to the fact of what Mary said earlier, that Queen Muriel sees these through the Palantir, that there's a big great wave that comes and ends Numenor as we see it. And the great wave plays a role uh, later on in the show. Not quite necessarily a bookend, but it is something that is once again referenced when Galadriel ends up seeing the same thing. So... Big ideas happening here. Not only the great wave with uh, the actual great wave, but I think a great wave of different change that is coming to all of Middle Earth. The director was once again Wayne Yip, who did the last episode, episode 103, and the writer was Stephanie Folsom, along with the showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Now, Stephanie Folsom is an interesting name for this show, Mary, because she has done a, a bunch of different TVs, including uh, TV shows, including Paper Girls as well as Star Wars Resistance. And there's another title here that comes up. And Mary, this is really interesting. She helped write Toy Story 4. Oh, nice. So if you are a fan of the Toy Story franchise. Sure am. She did the original story.
1: You got a friend in me, too. And, and
2: she, she was <laughs> made part. Uh, she helped write the screenplay for it as well. So, yeah, man. Toy Story 4. I, You know, quick aside. I was not a huge Toy Story 4 fan. I felt like Toy Story 3 told the rest of the story and we moved on. I don't know. What do you think? Was Toy Story 4 necessary other than just it in for bucks? I, I'm not saying it's a bad film. I'm just saying I enjoyed the ending of Toy Story 3 more.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. Um, I am actually really cool with Toy Story 4. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Okay. Here, I have a hot take for you.
1: I, okay.
2: Ready? Yeah. How to Train Your Dragon? Mm-hmm. Better franchise than Toy Story.
1: Oh wow. okay, yeah. that them's fighting words. Nerd! Uh, I'll get back to you on that. I think they both have their own worth and value. but yeah, okay, let's this isn't a Pixar and anime. no no I, I, I no. that's though, why I yeah. it.
2: it's, it's a hot take and I'm just throwing it out there mm-hmm. just to you know take the grenade, unleash the pin, throw it and walk away. So, the showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay also wrote episode 101 of this of this series. Marvin, your rings rating. How many rings are you giving episode 104? The Great Wave.
1: Oh, um, I'm giving this episode a 4.7.
2: Okay, good. Fair enough. I'm sticking with my own rating from last week, which is a 4.3. I feel like we are finally... Getting to where we're going. And yes. the problem is, and why I'm giving it a 4 3, is that it's halfway through the season. We're halfway.
1: Yes, Actually we are.
2: And that's a big problem for me, but it, it, we'll get into that later. You're GBG, you're good, you're bad. And great.
1: <laughs> my good singing. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited we got to see some singing uh, yes. in the mines, of course. Um, And that just made me really happy. My bad. Why the heck does Kelim, Bim, Kelimber? Kelimber? Kelimbr- Kelimbrimbor?
2: Kelimbrimbor. I'm on Burgundy. Okay, I'll be here with you,
1: friends. It's early in the morning when we're recording this one, in case you haven't been able to tell. My voice is not normal. Brimbor There you go. Say so that five times fast. Why does he care if he hasn't seen Prince Durham? Like, why? Oh, interesting. He's like, Oh, I'm pouting. And Elrond's like, Yeah, man, what's, what's going on? You're pouting a lot. We're here. Your tower's being built. You've got really cool house plants. Like, I don't know why you're sad. And he's like, you're a friend? He doesn't talk to me?
2: He's and a mean girl. I feel girl like right now. he's
1: hiding something.
2: He's being a mean girl.
1: Like, why do you care? It's the freaking prince, man. Okay. Maybe he's, he's got things to do. There's dwarves helping build this. It's not like they're not building it mm-hmm. for, I assume, free. How did they work out an agreement? I don't know. Why are you pouting that you haven't met the prince? What is? What is? Or you don't see him frequently. What does this have to do with you? Do you still think he's going to give you salted pork?
2: <laughs> salted. Is that what you're pork. still
1: waiting for?
2: Maybe he's just really into Regina George right Get now. Get over okay? yourself. <laughs> right,
1: Regina George.
2: Yeah, for Mean Girls.
1: Oh. <laughs> Early in the
2: morning. Way too early for a Mean Girls yeah, reference.
1: I'm, I'm all set with that. <laughs> I haven't even had coffee yet. No. <laughs> no, no, no. What? what and then my great is I loved the turn of events with the leaves of the white tree. And I loved the music behind it. Mm-hmm. And I love how it caught the queen off guard and just the symbolism of that. Um, I I just loved it. I was like, yes! Yeah, you go. Here we go, game time.
2: It's a beautiful visual, <laughs> number one, but also number two, as soon as it happens, when the queen literally stops in her tracks, you're like, something big is happening. And then you remember, oh yeah, when they said that the leaves fall... You know, Part of me
1: thought Galadriel was in the tree shaking the branches.
2: <laughs> She's just <sitting> vigorously <laughs> going back and forth. Yeah, yeah. That was know. my great. Fair enough. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, great piece of visual storytelling. All right, my good. My good is the fact that the show is really highlighting the one relationship I actually truly care about that, it ha- that it's presenting so far. And that is the friendship between Elrond and Durin. It's the one relationship where I'm like, yes, okay, I see what we're doing. And I and I mm-hmm. appreciate all that there is about it. And that is why I played uh the scene between the two at the top of our episode, Mary, because that in and of itself, number one, I think encapsulates the overall theme of this episode, which mm-hmm. in turn, my second good, is that this episode was finally felt like it's actually about something. It's not there there actually is a working theme as opposed to just plowing through world building and not even plot, but just plowing through getting us familiar with all of our characters. I felt like we can actually sink our teeth into something and say, okay, this is what they're doing. And it all comes through not only the relationship between Elrond and Durin, but I think in general, parents and children and... The, the shift or the seas or the great wave of change, if you will, uh, in, in, in Middle Earth. My bad. Listen, the slow-mo was beautiful.
1: Oh, I loved the slow-mo. Looked great. But
2: what are we doing?
1: Oh my God. I loved that scene.
2: Way too much slow-mo. And it's not just one scene. It was almost the entire sequence was slow-mo.
1: The running from the orc sequence? Yes. I loved the entire thing. This was your bad? Yes, it is. Because
2: it didn't serve a
1: purpose. Um, I, It served my purpose.
2: And when you have slow-mo like that, in my opinion, you use that for dramatic purposes or dramatic irony. And you use that to highlight... Uh, think of Boromir, right? When Boromir dies, it's all slow-mo. And... I'm not saying oh you have to you can only play slow mo when somebody dies you you can use it for artistic purposes and then I'm certain that somebody could argue that well it's an artistic purpose that they're using the slow mo in this particular sequence fine what is it what is the purpose because I
1: saw it as you ready you ready for this sure I saw it as this is how um, Aaron Deer is able to see things like we're in his speed. Because okay. you know, you could be like how the heck does he know that they're shooting arrows and that that one's going to come close. Right. It made me feel like, okay, Sonic the Hedgehog movie. <laughs> Our kids are obsessed. <laughs> there's this scene in Sonic the Hedgehog where there's a tavern brawl. Yes. And Sonic gets to run around and prank everybody because to him, everyone is slow-mo. Mm-hmm. And he's able to do things that other people can't. So I took this scene as the view- the viewpoint of Aaron Deer.
2: If you wanted to make that case, I could co-sign. However, it wasn't explicitly clear the way that it was in, let's say, Sonic the Hedgehog or even in X-Men when they did that with Quicksilver. Having said that, though... I will uh give ground on one instance of the slow-mo and that Mary you already kind of alluded to which is Aaron Deer catching that arrow. Yeah. That was a spectacular sequence. That is when I see like they start the the whole the whole scene off with Theo the fake out getting his arm cut off. And it happens in real time like it happens quick and it's it's a a a thing that Shocks the viewer, but of course it didn't really happen. It's just you know the the orc gets run through with an arrow. In my opinion, it should have gone fast paced the way that it began until Aaron sees the arrow, catches it slow mo, and then it speeds back mm-hmm. up again as the others run away. I just felt like the the idea behind the slow mo is is just it was overused in this particular sequence and it didn't carry any. Uh, narrative weight and it didn't because what ended up happening they were just running away and to me it's a much more thrilling sequence if they're running away in real time as opposed to slow-mo if somebody got hurt or if they had to carry you wanted harry
1: potter running away from the snatchers absolutely (laughs) you're a wizard yes
2: yes yes okay that is a thrilling sequence
1: okay well i could appreciate that but the other thing that made me feel like I was an Aaron Deer's viewpoint was as they were in the forest running, mm-hmm. there were female voices singing. And granted, it blends into um, Disa singing in the mines, but that's later. And the higher female voices, the treble voices, mm-hmm. um, usually means elf. Fair. So to me... That was just all things seeing it from the elven viewpoint.
2: If that's what they were trying to do, I'm officially co-signing. However, I would, if we were doing that, I want it to be just a little bit more explicit that it is in Arandir's POV.
1: Maybe um, they did try to show and not tell, and you just oh, and aren't I just that didn't astute. pick it up on it. A- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if the lighting was different.
2: <laughs> Listen, I'll take it. It's fine. No problem. You just it, it, Listen, maybe, maybe I didn't see it, but if it is what you're saying, it is, I'm in. All right. My great. I actually have two greats. First, one is the long take that happens when Theo climbs out of the well mm-hmm. and then runs through the town to escape the, uh, the orcs really well shot, good, constant movement. And, those kinds of scenes are hard, those long takes.
1: So wouldn't have that been... Yeah, so they just gave you that. They gave you the human viewpoint.
2: I agree, but it that had a different feel.
1: It totally did. It made me feel like I was 12 years old again, playing manhunt in my neighborhood.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely.
1: Right? Like, oh no, I gotta hide behind these tall grass. Granted, they're ornamental grass from my rich neighbor who has it manicured, but wow, that made me feel really suspenseful. Yeah,
2: no, and that's what that is supposed to do. Those long takes are when movies or when television shows flex their muscles and be like, look at what we're doing. It's big, it's flashy, you know, the the, the probably the most famous long take sequence in film history is the Goodfellas Long Take. When they walk from – when Ray Liotta and uh, what's-her-name walks from uh, the car into the club down through the kitchen or the whole thing, that's probably the most popularized pop culture one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are instances where you can use this. You know, as, as a matter of fact, 1917, the movie, is the way that it was directed. It was directed as one giant long take right it was it was but of course there were tricks that they used to separate takes that you, you as a viewer probably didn't see but the idea is okay we're we're flexing our muscles we're making a point and in this particular instance it was Theo trying to escape and get through the town through all the orcs. it's meant to build tension it's meant to build um, a, a suspense and what's going to happen next and coordinating all of that especially with all these different people walking in and out of screen fires you know being lit Orcs saying certain things. That's a hard take to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, my main great is this. Again, I have to say this. The, the show is – the episode is about something. and There is a working theme in my opinion for the first time. Now, I'm sure that there were themes in the other episodes. But this one is the one where it felt most clear and most evident that they were working towards something. And I like that. And as a Mary and Blake media commandment goes, a theme, as we all know, is not love or brotherhood or peace. You know, it's not just a word. It's not a, a statement. Theme is a question. Theme is something that you're trying to prove and you're trying to answer through the text of what you're writing or through the visuals of what you're telling. And that is, In this particular case for this episode, the theme from what I could see is what are the risks of defying our parents? What are the risks of defying our parents' expectations? What are you willing to do and what is going to happen? And in every part of what we watched in this episode, whether it is Muriel or uh, even Galadriel or Elrond or Isildur or uh, all of our characters – are taking something from their parents and either moving it forward or they're defying it so that they can have their own claim on this world.
1: Even the darn dwarf kids, they don't listen to their mama.
2: They don't listen to, no- they're like baby <laughs> dragons. They don't listen to nobody. No. <laughs> so what, when I see that, I, and, and the the show couldn't be any more explicit about it because the first scene is Muriel taking babies and bringing them into the world and, and blessing them through in the Numenorian way, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the Palantir is showing her that her world is going to end, possibly because she has divided her off her father's expectations, right? So, like, there are a sequence of events that happen that lead to. What that is. So, I don't think the show, I think, is telling you right up front this is what we're going to be about, probably not only for this episode, but for the remainder of the series. And if that is what the the series is trying to get towards, count me in. Okay. Count me in. All right. So, we didn't have uh, anything for the Fellowship of the Ring in this episode, and that is my fault. So, I apologize to all of you listeners. As you know, we want to make sure that your voice is heard. I did not put up a post asking for Fellowship of the Ring uh, commentary. So rest assured, next episode, I promise I will have the post up and I promise I'll make it a bigger deal uh, for all of you to comment on the episode and give us your thoughts and feedback. Because, again, that's what's most important, Mary and Blake Media, your thoughts. Instead of that, Mary, where do you want to begin with this show and what stood out to you most other than your gbg
1: <laughs> i think you know i kind of want to talk about things in location so let's just start things off in the southlands okay um so of course you know we're we're in the the tower and there are a ton of people coming on in i'm not necessarily super aware of the geography of all of these different, essentially, states from which these people are coming from. Sure. But obviously, we can see with Bronwyn that it's a great amount and that now the, the orcs' reach has gotten very vast. Yes. And all they have left is five potatoes. <laughs> Samwise would be proud that there still are potatoes, taters.
2: <laughs> Look, more llama bread
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but alas that is not enough to feed the hundreds probably thousands of people that are here now right. um, so Theo then, then runs out and I just hate that all of these men are hating on Bronwyn all we have left is four potatoes okay well let's go out and find some more food well who's gonna do that You want just me to do it by myself? There's thousands of people here. Right. Why are you acting, you know, great that they say, like, oh, you're the one that put yourself in charge. Nobody else Mm -hmm. is kind. Nobody else is helpful. Well, what the hell are you doing about it? Exactly. So Theo and his friend, not Justin Bieber, some other friend, go out. No, I thought that was Justin Bieber. Oh, he looked different.
2: No, I I thought that was him.
1: Okay, maybe it's still Justin Bieber. They go out. And decide to get some actual quality food. And I loved the point of we're going to go out during the day when it's sunny. Sure. Um, because that's when they're less likely to be there. And the poor Justin Bieber gets spooked. Runs away. I would have gotten spooked.
2: I don't blame you. That, clouds that's coming in. very anti-Gryffindor of you.
1: Oh, my goodness gracious. And I, that,
2: that shot, too, of the clouds like literally enveloping Justin Bieber as he runs away. I mean,
1: I would have gotten my friend. And then run away. True. Good point. That's what I would have done. So he's
2: more Slytherin, probably.
1: The shot inside the the barn, though, with Theo—not the barn, but the storage, you know, yeah. facility—with um, the orc. Once again, you just see this quick movement. And you had brought it up before about how the orcs in this series seem much smarter, mm-hmm. seem swifter, seem more foreboding that they than they did in the movies. In the movies, they just kind of. They were what they were.
2: They were cannon fodder. They were a bunch of log carriers.
1: And there were a couple ones that stood out. But in this, I feel like each of these orcs, uh, whether they're dead or not, (laughs) um, have had moments, have had things to say or have had different movements about them. Um, So what did you think of that scene where he slices Theo and then Theo of course pierces his arm with the hilt.
2: Yeah, absolutely great stuff. Uh, Especially with the orc in the background when he comes, eventually he, he makes his presence known and goes to attack Theo. You know, again, I, I like the fact that it's stuff of a horror movie Mm -hmm. where you're in there and you're wondering, okay, it's not a question of if this is going to happen. It's when is this going to happen? And you're just waiting and, and, it's the effect of having a timer, essentially, in this kind of scene when you're like, okay, this this is going to happen. When is this? When is the jump scare going to happen? Uh, sitting on on the edge of your seat, waiting. I really like that effect, and I like the fact that the show is leaning into, as we have stated before, orcs are scary. Orcs are legit scary. True. And when they're not just a bunch of log carriers walking around getting killed by Aragorn. Or getting, you know, shot through uh, by some elves, they're pretty terrifying. Their faces, the makeup work, uh, their armor, the black blood splurting out of it—they're—they're they're, they're pretty scary, man. The question I have for you, though, Mary, is how does Theo know to jab that thing into his forearm?
1: Because his blood before was what made the sword spark and smoke.
2: Right. No, I know that, but and like, he saw that. Okay.
1: So he knew. Magical cool stuff happens when this has blood. Yep. I'm just going to give this lots of blood.
2: Sure. All the blood. Yeah. So we know now that that sword was at least what the the barkeep. <laughs> uh, he says that that was forged by Sauron and that was Sauron's that's sword. That's the barkeep? Yeah, that's the barkeep at the end. That's the guy that was being really cool with the elves. With the
1: potatoes? With
2: the potatoes.
1: Oh my gosh, he just doesn't have a hat on? Right. I thought it was someone else. No,
2: no, that was that was the guy who was just like being really cool. This with Bill. makes so
1: much more sense because I was like,
2: <laughs> I was like,
1: who's this wall drag? Like, why does he have so much food that everyone's like, oh, let's just go to his house because obviously, right. he's got tons of stuff. Right, I didn't realize it was the bar key
2: Right, there you go. And he
1: didn't have a hat on. And we had it
2: confirmed that it was in fact his bond that Theo was in where he was touching all of his stuff, where that hilt was kept. And that makes sense mm-hmm. that he would keep the hilt if he was a follower of Sauron. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think that, well, remember how we were talking about how Justin Bieber felt like he was a follower of Sauron at the, in the first episode? where because it was, he was like, Because he was wicked crabby. Mm-hmm. You know, the show did a little bit of, rever- of a reverse on us here. And that's great. It should. That... Potentially he the Justin Bieber was not referring to Sauron as we thought he was, but really and truly he might be referring to Halbrand, which who is over you know in Numenor, because he was saying, Oh, our king is coming, mm-hmm. and when he does, all this stuff is gonna change. And then when you juxtapose that against what the barkeep was doing, and he was, you know, being cool with the elves, making sure everything was fine, we're all set. But really, truly, in the end, he himself was someone that was really a follower of Sauron, waiting and prepared for him to return. Yeah, speaking, too, of return, Mary, we have the return, or at least the presentation, of Adar. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of in on Adar. I'm kind of in on what he's going to do for this story. And I almost, I was so close to playing his little monologue that he has with or exchange rather that he has with Aaron Deere when he's like, you know, you've been told so many lies. I thought,
1: see, to me, that's what this was going to be about. But because you saw this episode as daddy issues. I'm not surprised you did what you did. Mm. I saw this more as there's a lot. There's many things at play that we as the viewer do not know go is going on.
2: Right. And that's what I'm looking for from a show like rings of power. What I want Is it necessarily, okay, how did we get from A to F? I want to know what routes we take getting from A to F, right? Because we all, again, we talked about this in the first episode of Rings of Power with Mary and Blake. We already know where all this is going, right? We already know the end. What I want to know from this show is, yes, how do we get there? In what ways do we get there that I don't expect?
1: Well, I'll tell you something. I didn't expect to see Benjamin Stark coming back from behind oh,
2: the wall. Oh, yes. You know
0: nothing, Jon Snow.
2: And I'll tell you, Mary, he really does look like Benjamin Stark after he comes back with the face and everything. Really cool stuff. Like I know. Like the makeup is very similar to how he looked. And it, at the time when I was watching it, I was trying to place who this guy was. Like I, I couldn't. I I I knew I knew his face, but when when he eventually said the Benjamin Stark thing, I was like, yeah, that's It's just the funny because
1: of course the last time we saw Benjamin Stark, he was like ghost Benjamin. That's what I'm Frozen, saying. Yeah. Right. And now he's melted Adar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I will say that I am very interested in this character and how he's going to help redefine what we come to expect from Middle Earth. From from Middle Earth. And the histories that are involved. This is an avenue. Where the show can do something that, you know, listen, I know that there are a lot of people, a lot of nerds that are out there that are complaining, this isn't Tolkien, it's not as flowery as Tolkien, it's, no, the writing is not as good, and blah, blah. It's not supposed to be. This is a show based on Tolkien, like inspired by Tolkien work. Mm-hmm. If it's not the same exact thing, that's a good thing, ladies and gents. That's a good thing. Give me a world that I can live in and expand in the world. Don't get just give me the thing that Tolkien did. I I want to live within it and and see different stories and how they're told and and how um you know they they can use modern day uh, affiliations and, and ideas and, and inculcate them into into the Tolkien world. How can they expand it? And this is a way with Adar that they can help expand that world. But, Mary, I'm a little disappointed because we don't get more. Of Adar? We, we don't get more. We're gonna get more. I know we're gonna get more.
1: Is he who the orcs are saying we need to go tell him we found it? Is mm-hmm. that who they're saying we need to go mm-hmm. tell? Because if this is what they've been digging for.
2: What? The, if the they've hilt? been
1: digging for the hilts. Yes. And yet it's just been in the barkeep's basement this entire time.
2: (laughs) Not really smart.
1: I feel like they have been searching for the treasure the lost treasure of Oak Island. (laughs) Uh, Digging holes in the wrong places. Friends. So much wood. So much wood. If you don't know about Oak Island, Google it. It's in Nova Scotia. It has captivated Blake and I. We've given up a little bit now. Yeah. But (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's still captivating. It
1: still is captivating. You
2: know they're out there looking for a top pocket find. We a, a Bobby Dazzler. We still
1: have plans to go to Nova Scotia to go see Oak <laughs> Island and maybe find the treasure ourselves. But I just feel like Adar's team was given some bum, uh, some
2: bum information. Information. you think they have like theorists that come in? They go to the War Room and they're like, "Okay, Adar, I mean, this is what I think."
1: Yeah, I, I think I think they do. I think they have theorists. I think they're orc theorists. And granted, they <laughs> look much more foreboding in this series than they did in the show. But they're still dumb as rocks. Yeah, I mean, literally, there's there's one point where they're chasing after Theo and they say we've turned over every stone <laughs> and then in the next minute <laughs> leave no stone unturned <laughs> but we just said that we just said we we turned over every stone yeah why are you telling me to make to leave no stone unturned i already did that we already did it <laughs> And then they also say, smells like human. Well, you're in a human village. (laughs) So if the orcs are the ones telling Adar that they think they have a hunch of where the hilt is, this is why I'm not surprised. It's going to be a long process. Yeah, this is why I'm not surprised they're digging in a different direction. Do you
2: you think that they find a Spanish coin from the 1500s and they go, is this it?
1: This is the one. Is it from the Templar? (laughs) That's the question. This is
2: our aha moment. Got
1: it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I
2: could I could watch Oak Island all day and rank on Oak Island all day. <laughs>
1: yep. I love Adar. I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm excited. Now that I know that there was the barkeep just with his hat off, <laughs> I am feeling even more excited. Yeah. Because the poison is in the walls. The poison is inside the tower. And Aaron Deere has no idea. Bronwyn has absolutely no idea. And I cannot wait to see how this is going to go down.
2: We do get a bit of character work for Adar that he does really, truly seem to care about the orcs. And we do get a sense that he is a fallen elf. We do get a sense that uh, he wants to be a god, as he says that he's not a god yet. Not yet. And the orcs revere him like a god. Do you think that he has convinced them that he is Sauron, or do you think that...
1: I think he's just the smartest guy they know. (laughs) <laughs> and he's nice. Good point. And so they follow him. I mean, the respect he gives to that dying orc. Mm-hmm. And you could see the pain in his eyes as he gives him a, a cleaner death. Um, even the way he speaks to Arendir with respect. I mean, think of this. He, he talks through things. Where are you from? And he tries to tell Arendir a bit more of his perspective. Yeah, his. and I what I loved about this is is how it was written and obviously how it was acted because this could have easily come off as an evil villain who ha 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 monologue, let me tell the hero why I'm doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. for 2 minutes. <laughs> you know, like we've seen especially in I mean, heck, Toy Story. Like, you know what I mean? Like you you get these these usually more simple characters who who end up doing this and yet he did it in such a beautiful conversational way. Mhm. Um, And he was just so captivating that you, I don't know about you. I want to know his side of the story. Absolutely. I want to know what are these lies that are so deep that the roots and the rocks believe it. Like, what is that?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. The, the, the the second we get that again, whether or not we choose to believe it, that's entirely up to the viewer. Mm -hmm. But the second we get it, at least it gives us an opportunity to help redefine Middle Earth, the second age, and give us a different perspective on what we've been given. Through the, the the third age, or our understanding of the first age,
1: I was kind of laughing a little bit because I've watched this episode now several times, and I each time I'm even more intrigued. Like I want to know more. I want to know more. And the most recent time I watched it, I laughed to myself because I thought this is how false truths and fake news used to get spread before Facebook. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> good point. Very good point.
2: Um, <laughs> um, so we we begin. Let's let's take a little bit of a turn here. Because I, the show has, I think, to its advantage, focused on a couple of different storylines. Correct. And, and, you know, at least in this case, for this episode, we, we didn't get the half foots at all. Uh, and I, I think the show needs to do this because, from what I can see, there are just too many characters.
1: The show spent the entire time with man.
2: In what... Oh, it, uh, well, Except
1: Elrond, sorry.
2: Yeah, well, they, we spent a lot of time with Elrond, <laughs> Never mind, so. we spent the entire time with Elves. <laughs> yes, good point. Um, and nobody seems to like the Elves. Not one single person.
1: No, because they've <laughs> got a weird personality.
2: I know, I'm just saying. It's
1: just, People need to get over it. It's just an Elven thing.
2: They're all kay? weird Ravenclaws. They're
1: not, like, warm, huggy. <laughs> they're, they're pretty stoic. You know, you get what you get with them.
2: Yes, I agree. Um speaking of not liking elves uh and again we're we're focusing on i think parts of the story and i think the show needs to do that because there are just too many characters there are too many things that are happening in fact even within the the, the spaces that we're staying we're we're actually jailing some of our characters so they can't do anything halbrand is in jail so that plot wise he can't move he's just stuck And even they even jail Galadriel for a little Mm -hmm. bit so that she can't do anything because we have so many other things to do. And and this is why I bring it up, Mary, because there are so many characters and we have so many different people to keep track of so many different ways to tell this story. The show is in this really weird place of doing a lot of things, but nothing actually happens.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Nothing really truly happens until the end of this episode. And that is when Muriel actually makes a decision to go to Middle Earth and to go to the Southlands. I feel like
1: every, I feel, but you've got, you're missing the whole like Durin aspect. There's a lot that happens there. I think movement on all fronts happens in this episode. We have movement from Sauron's people in multiple ways. Okay, Adar's orc team now knows where to go. We've got Barkeep and Theo teaming up, doing, you know, teenage boy (laughs) hood rat stuff. I don't know. What
2: was that? Doing hood rat things like smoking cigarettes and stealing cars. Yeah, yeah. Just just
1: making a menace. Um, We have Durin saying he is going to go to Linden knowing that he feels like something's up. And then, of course, we've got the Queen Regent and Galadriel now heading. So everyone is heading in there. Everyone's moving.
2: Well, no, no one's moving. They've gotten to the decision to move. This has all been one giant prima, right? They're, they're, They're all priming the pump.
1: The way that I describe the, the, this episode know, is the the deep breath you take when you're at the top of a roller coaster absolutely. and you see everything. You know, when you're at the tippity top of of an amusement park, and for that quick second before the roller coaster starts its downward turn, you could see the Ferris wheel, you could see the haunted house, you could see everything, and then you see down and you're like, oh, this, oh. this is um <laughs> this is a lot. Yes. And next episode we start that downward. Dissent.
2: I would totally agree, and this is when, it is when I come back to the conversation that we were having earlier, Mary, and that is we're halfway through the season, and, and I don't like saying there are hard and fast rules to writing because if anybody tells you that there are hard and fast rules, they either don't know enough about writing or they're lying to you, but there are general rules. Um, ebbs and flows of storytelling and there are general templates and when you use those templates it feels like a more common story like if you ever watched the movie the master that it, it it's just a, nothing happens or if you watch like dune remember when we watched dune you're like oh, mary was like dune. what are we doing here dune was a movie that did not it just said – it took every writing rule there is and, and said, screw it. We're going to do what the hell we want um, because it was the first half of a much larger story. And my sense is if we are using a general template of writing, we're getting to the halfway point. This is when everything is supposed to turn. This is when every, like the, the dramatic high point of your story is now. And right now – I feel like we've only just begun the actual plot, you know if it sounds like i'm I'm being negative I, I I really am I'm not because i i to be honest, I like the fact that we're finally getting to where I think the show wants it to be, and that is great and following up on where it wants it to be the show is beautiful i mean it's stunning and and as we had noticed. This the shot of the, the falling leaves and everything is just gorgeous. And the fact that it can stop the Queen in her place knowing what that means, and we know what that means at the same time, is excellent. And just as excellent as that as that is, Mary, the fact of the matter is the Queen Regent is not talking to a dead body, as we as I thought <laughs> oh, might have happened thank last week. Oh
1: goodness please. I feel a little bit
2: better knowing that the guy's still alive. That she ain't ain't going full Norman Bates.
1: (laughs) I didn't think that he was going to be dead, but that would have been quite weird. Quite weird, even for Lord of the Rings.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's just something didn't, something wasn't passed on the smell test, Mm -hmm. the way that it was shot. It was very fishy. Like they were trying to do something. Luckily, (laughs) luckily, no one is as sick as I am. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it's just so funny. I wasn't surprised that he was sick.
2: Well, I mean, like, he Kina. was...
1: No, but, like, when Galadriel goes in, she's like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea that your dad's wicked old. It's like she forgot that non-elven people get old and sick and die. Right. Like, and... you see how old the queen regent is? It is her dad. Mm-hmm. Nobody's seen him for a little while.
2: Well, what I you, mean, people in Numenor do... You think are he's, due... like,
1: upstairs doing yoga? <laughs> Knitting? What do you think he's doing? He certainly
2: ain't doing P90X, I'll no. tell you that. <laughs> Goodness. Working on his core.
1: <laughs> Not in the slightest.
2: Oh, man. Doing doing bio doing, uh, well, like, jumps. What
1: you were saying, Blake, about how it's taking some time, we do need to remember that this is going to be a five-season series, and we do right. want to have everything laid out just right, which, which honestly, I feel like they've done it. They've done a great job with... Um I, there's a couple of things that stood out to me in this episode that I did want to touch upon. Um, (laughs) First off with Galadriel, she's so mad. She's so mad, like, oh, you know, I'm going to fight all these people and I'm going to put you down, Queen Regent, and I'm going to complain and ask to speak to your daddy, aka the manager. (laughs) Like, not kind, Galadriel. Where's his
2: supervisor?
1: And then... She gets to you know see the future of Numenor and says, "Cool, all right, so we're on the same page." Um, I know I put you down earlier today, um, and I totally you know
2: (laughs) I just embarrassed you you in front of everybody in front of
1: everybody. But can you give me your army?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and here is the other thing too that the queen has the wherewithal to to kind of take the beating that she took from Galadriel and recognize that maybe this is the right move to make once she sees the effects mm-hmm. from the tree. Like she doesn't turn around and say, well, we're still going to do what we're going to do. Sorry. She actually, she pivots and says, no, 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 we're going to do the right thing. Or at least what she interprets to be the right thing. And then this, again, it goes back to the working theme of, of the episode where, is the line drawn between parent and child and where within that line does the expectation of the parent align with the child. And if the child does do what the parent says, is that good or is it bad? And we're seeing that here with Numenor and we're seeing that here in a major way because her father was ousted from being the king Mm -hmm. because Maybe he was having a little bit of mental illness. Maybe he was professing his loyalty to the elves. And you know, the way that Farazon talks, it's like, oh, elves are gonna show up and take our jobs and they're gonna do that. Like, I find it kinda hard to believe that elves are gonna be sitting there making beers. You <laughs> they know? don't sleep. Yeah, like <laughs> they don't age. <laughs> I find it hard to believe. But when you get a when you get a bunch of people there, And you get them all worked up.
1: Well, Farazad's going around doing the secret little handshake. Yeah. Oh, how are you? How you doing? How's the market today? Nice, sweet. And then his buddy starts complaining. Mm -hmm. And Farazad comes on out. Everybody, I have all the badges. (laughs) Look how special I am. And I'm a man with calloused hands that weren't actually calloused. At least not calloused enough for me to see on our giant screen. And he's like, look at my calloused hands. No. Okay. You're saying you're not an elf. You know that that blowout that you get every day with the perfect swoop of hair, you know he doesn't work. Mm -hmm. He paid for those badges, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden, he pulls a hell brand, drinks drinks on me, drinks for everybody. The wine comes out of the streets. Mm -hmm. I don't know where all that wine was. Farazad was just like, everybody, because he says the same thing Mm -hmm. that the town crier does. You know, oh, we hate the elves. They don't age. Farzad doesn't disagree with him. Mm -hmm. He just says it nicer. Right. And rather than them pouting, now they're cheering and he says, trust in me.
2: Right. And that is a scary line.
1: Drinks on me and trust in me.
2: This guy, the guy knows how to manipulate people, and it's a little bit of a character work. That's just, you know, under it's the rain. It's it's it's
1: putting down, putting it down
2: there.
1: I mean, for him to have such beautiful hair in what I would assume be a humid environment, you're on oh, an I island.
2: Know, I know so much conditioner <sighs> happening right now.
1: All the hairspray, all like, the mousse.
2: <laughs> Do you think he does like the the natural curl thing?
1: No, no, that is a <laughs> blowout, what he had going on. My goodness. And of course, then we get to meet his son. Yes. Who's hitting on Isildur's sister, And Yes. he did a pretty good job.
2: I'm not going to lie. That line when she's like, I don't really go out with, you know, strange young men. When he says, yeah, I'll let you know when I see one. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> yep. coming down from the clouds on that Agreed. one. You know, again, father son thing here. We're getting, we're getting a, a, a parent child relationship with even, even the queen regent refers to Galadriel as the daughter of Phenarfin. We have the whole th- thing with Isildur and Elendil happening. We have the whole thing with Durin, dur- um, Durin, the, Durin, the, Durin the third and Durin the fourth and during the the third and during the fourth, we have Elrond and his dad, Lots of parent child stuff happening.
1: Poor Elrond. My dad did such a great job. They put him in the sky. (laughs) And you want to know what else they did? He has to drag around the evening star. They put him in the sky to work forever. (laughs) I didn't even say goodbye.
2: (laughs) Do you think he gets like retirement?
1: (laughs) No. Because there's no end in sight. You're stuck <laughs> like a point. fly on a sticky tape.
2: Mm, you're just stuck there, holding stuff up.
1: Holding, moving, moving. Move, move, move
2: moving a the, star. The star. Every night. Oh, it's a cloudy <laughs> night? At least you get
1: that night off. Can I go see my kid on my night off? No.
2: Oh, the man. The clouds might move. Speaking of that, Elrond, he gets introduced to Mithril, which, as we all know, is eventually what uh, Bilbo wears and uh, eventually what uh, Frodo wears, and that helps save his life on many occasions. It's interesting to see how this was all manufactured, like the, the, how Mithril has been manufactured into the plot and how that affects not only Elrond and Durin, but the interpretation of Durin's relationship with his father. And how Elrond is the one that seems to encourage, stop worrying about your dad. Just like, I wish I had my dad at all to even have a conversation. That is really important. And I got really emotional. I'm not going to lie. When Durin's father's like, you're my son. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to forgive. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But then again, there's also that little bit of a kick in the butt where he's like, so what are you going to do? You're gonna do the right thing. You're gonna you're gonna go to Lindon? You're gonna Lyndon. You're gonna take care of this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna take care of it. So it's like the it's like this give and take between the father and son that still is present. So regardless. do we
1: think when his dad, when Durin Senior, was like, oh, do you think the elves are here for this? Was he talking about the Mithril or was he talking about the stone? I still think he's talking about the stone.
2: I think he, well, the Mithril is what was in the.
1: He was in Duran Jr.'s case, but that was a smaller case because that was inside his special little cove Okay, understood. that Elrond caught him in, and when he first went to his dad and said, my elf friend is here, and the king said, oh, hopefully he doesn't know about this, he had a big glowing chest. That's a
2: good point. Good so point.
1: I still think that that's the stone.
2: Fair enough. Seeing the beginnings of the Mithril, regardless of whatever was in that little case, It's 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 such a cool beginning and seeing Elrond's reaction to Mithril was pretty interesting as well, because that felt to me. It reminded me of when everybody stared. We was staring at the one ring in Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, how like every five minutes people just stared at the ring. Elrond staring at the Mithril was certainly reminiscent of that. Did you catch a whiff of that at all?
1: No, I didn't pick that up, but I appreciate what you're going for.
2: I uh I just I it's just interesting. It's an interesting This thing. is
1: this is what gets them in trouble with the Balrog. Balrog?
2: Yeah, correct. So when they dig, they too, dig
1: deep. too deep.
2: So it, it seems like they've put everything on a hold here you for know what the I, Mithril.
1: The other thing that I thought about is when we are in Moriar in Lord of the Rings. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, Gandalf says Oh no, they're reading they're reading the inscription from all the dead dwarves. Yes. And it says, They are coming. They are coming. Yeah. And they say it, they read it he reads it so quietly. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of when Aaron said he picks up Theo and he just like softly says, They are coming.
2: Oh, awesome.
1: And it's still awesome, the Awesome, Mary. Bam. You have, a your a to have to listen to it that way. They are coming. And it is. It's still the orcs coming.
2: Awesome job. Great pull. Great pull. My last question for you, Mary, is a bit of an artistic question, or at least one that they use artistic license with, to highlight, uh, let's call it, uh, power. And that is Elrond using his super awesome elf sight, to read Durin's lips with Disa. Uh, by the way, that scene with Durin and the way that it frames his face with the light and mm. on the bridge, like the whole thing is just spectacular. And the relationship that Disa and Durin share, phenomenal. That conversation about the lying and then the, all, the whole thing, mm-hmm. excellent stuff. Agreed. Loved it. But then they have this. They make this choice. They're showing Elrond's eyes, and then they pant, like they. They pan down on, on a level pan down to his lips and it just shows him saying, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. the, whatever the phrase is. I can't remember it off the top of my head. The old mine. Yeah, sure. What do you think about that choice? Did it work for you? Because when it, when it happened for me, it felt a little awkward. I was like, ooh, like, I, I don't know. I just, I had the artistic choice of it. No. I didn't, I didn't like it, but. Upon second thought, I think I warmed up to a little bit more. How about you? Did it did it make a difference for you? Did you catch? No,
1: I liked it. I yeah. mean, if you can hearken back to Legolas being able to, you know, stand out and kind of be the lookout, the ever watchful Mitch <laughs> from Meerkat Manor, throwback. Nerds! My 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 fellow meerkat friends, you know, Legolas would stand up and you'd see him like really use his super sharp sight to yeah. see what he could see in the distance that others couldn't see. Um, I liked it. I think it was very clear to me what Elrond was doing. Yep. And I think it's cool that he figured that out. Um, part of me is like, <laughs> Durin, why are you talking about secret stuff?
2: Yeah, in the middle of... <laughs>
1: Like in this m-
2: open canyon. yeah.
1: You do that in closed walls, man. The other thing I thought was quite interesting was Elrond knew how to open the secret passageway by banging on the wall.
2: Yes, because of the song that the kids, the song kids were, song were singing. The kids are singing. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting stuff.
1: Which I am going to be real with you. I wouldn't have known that was the same song if we didn't have closed captions on. Because uh, the kids were in the background. Yes. And that's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> um, but because we frequently watch our shows, at least one viewing with the captions on, uh-huh. it was the same thing. And then L Ron said it. And so it made a lot of sense to us. But I'm wondering for people who don't watch it with closed captions if they're like how did he know right. to bang the wall with that rhythm <laughs> what even was that rhythm where did he just come up with this little ditty
2: good point alright you got anything else for this episode my love anything, uh, anything else you want to talk about the music oh yes that's right uh, I have the album here you said you wanted to play which ones
1: Um, the third from the end okay which one, should two, be three. a
2: plea to the rocks yes okay here you go
1: so what's yeah so this is A plea of the Rocks, obviously, with Deesa singing. But this part is the slow motion running, which was your bad, Blake. Oh, like okay. Aaron Deer. Yep. They're coming. They're coming. I like the idea about what, so what you're saying. When you hear this, it is all treble voices. It's all those higher register voices, which have been an elven thing. Yes. Uh, the lower voices, the richer sound is more with the dwarves. Um so I think that this is a really interesting blend, since it goes from an elf um, scene straight into the dwarf scene, right. But you're going to hear the difference, obviously in the voicing, because this is called the plea to the stones, But most of it's not stones, you mm-hmm. know, this is the running, the oh, he catches the arrow, His mom comes in. Fantastic, you know, things are going on. Mm-hmm. But then if you fast forward a bit,
0: Oh, okay. Because this
1: is a bit of a long piece. We... So still, this is when they're outside and the sun comes out. Here we go.
2: Yeah, this is Disa singing. This
1: is Disa singing, and we hear her voice before the shot is even with her.
2: Yes, agreed. I love that transitional bit.
1: And I would love to know if any of our listeners can tell us if there's any um, words that are actually being sung in this song. And if so, if there's... An, if there's Translation available Because mm-hmm. I'd love to know that This reminded me of the throat singing That was in um, The Last Kingdom Oh
2: yes okay with, So Disa's singing yeah, reminds okay. me a
1: lot Of the female vocalizing With Avor, Avor yes. is the lady's name Yeah and now you hear not only Disa Who has a alto voice yep. Yes still a female in treble but lower timbre, richer, very different than the elven singing. Yep. And you hear the the lower male voices. Even the now metal, behind and still it. the
2: metal clanking, too. Yes, yes. and the pulsating. Yeah, so I
1: just think it's a really interesting piece that when you listen to it by itself outside of watching the show. Good piece. Bear McCurry did a beautiful job blending those scenes with a piece of music.
2: Right. and And those scenes are connected with music. Otherwise,
1: that's why I just said. Boop I know what I'm tra- saying. Yeah. But
2: like the the visual aspect of the scene, mm-hmm. even though they're, they're even though they're two separate, wholly separate things that are happening at different areas and and two different stories altogether, they're connected with the uh, with the auditorium. Now
1: you're gonna play the last song. Yes, the white leaves. Yes. I will say I love Bear McCreary. He's very simple when it comes to labeling his pieces. He yes. does not want you to be
2: confused. He's no Michael Zakino. No,
1: Michael Giacchino <laughs> throws riddles. So this, of course, is when the the Queen Regent, um, you know, is wishing Galadriel on her way. Yep. Goodbye. Get out of here.
2: By the way, by the way,
1: <laughs> you don't have to go home.
2: Can't stay but here. You can't stay here. Galadriel just standing in that boat, like for basically the entire shot. And then on the way, she's still standing.
1: When did they get her? Do they wave? <laughs> so, of course, we've got the female voice. Yes. Which, once again, bears often using a higher female voice. I think this is
2: Raya. Really? I think this is Rhea Yarbrough. If you her, click on her, it. His, his wife. His wife. The lady who sings the Outlander songs.
1: Um, But we have a higher, a higher toned female voice singing the Numenor piece. Yep. But once again, he's been using a lot of female higher voices to demonstrate elvish relationships.
2: Ah, okay. So
1: I think it's interesting that once, as I said, higher female voice singing the Numenor theme. And then we're going to get uh, a lot more fullness and you're going to get um, different instrumentation. Remember we were saying that the Numenor theme sounded uh, Eastern. It sounded... um, you know, very just d- different instrumentation that we're not necessarily used to here sure, in the West. Yep, yep. Um, and so you're going to hear the Numenar theme now played with more of those heroic uh, brass instruments yeah, that we often bit. hear with Galadriel. Yep. We've talked about hearing her. So here is here. Yep. You hear that? That's the French horn. So we've been hearing the French horns used with our hero character of Galadriel. Now the French horn is playing to the Numenor theme, telling you Numenor is now rising up in general as a heroic character. The, you know, this state, this, this island of Numenar yep. is now joining forces and we're going to get some Galadriel. Um, interwoven as well, which oh, is really cool. Sense. You hear now a fuller range chorus. You get all of the different voices. Yep. Um, which now we're kind of moving away from necessarily the Elven bit, but as I said, you're hearing this heroic French horn, yep. which we've really only heard a lot with Galadriel. Um, so keep going I'll a little fast further. Forward. This. Here we go. This is where I'm talking about. Yeah. Obviously, the whole, the strings and the orchestra bringing about the breadth of it all. Um, he had some really cool when the uh, when the petals did start to fall. There was just really light instrumentation, which was nice and pretty. And here, once again, yes, is Numenor. more of those Eastern yep. or uh, the Eastern um, kind of feel to it. But you hear this. Right. This is. We've got like some strong regular orchestral brass, yeah. yes. And now Galadriel blends straight into the Numenor theme. Great stuff. Yes. Good
2: stuff, Mary. Good pull. Good pull. Excellent job.
1: But right there, it went minor. So. Yep.
2: I it's love. saying, minor. Galadriel.
1: Minor? You, you think you're good? Not you've Got some new yet. heroes on your team. <laughs> but hold on tight, Spider Monkey. All
2: right, you ready for some trivia? Yes. Let's do it. So most of the details and elaborations told within this story, as we have said before, are from actually, or at least inspired by, The Lord of the Rings its prologue entitled Concerning Hobbits, and its appendices A through F, where the intrepid traveler may journey to discover even farther horizons into the Lord of the Rings universe. The white tree of Numenor, Nimloth, is a descendant of one of the two trees of Valinor, and it is a seedling of the tree Galathilion, itself born of the fruit of Telperion that once lit the Undying Lands. The Meneltarma is the tall mountain that rises in the center of the Isle of Numenor. The western shores of Numenor face the Undying Lands and are the absolute westernmost point of all mortal lands. And before they were expelled, elves from Arasseia would come to the shores with gifts and knowledge. Beleriand was the country that ex- expanded west of today's middle earth before being destroyed in the first age linden is all that remains of what it used to be and that is what uh adar father by the way was talking about with arandir as he was explaining what uh Baler- um excuse me what Beleriand was like orcs eat and drink like other species they may be wicked and cruel but if they are to live at all they must live like the other creatures they will consume foul waters and meats when in need but they are not so evil or different that they can't get uh, by, they can't get by on poison so they they have the ability to be poisoned Elrond's father was Erandil, Arand- the mariner who crossed the sea to obtain the help of the valar he was given a fate apart, sailing his ship through the sky as a sign of hope to those oppressed by evil forces. Dwarves have a special reference for the Miramir, the lake outside the eastern entrance to the Khazad-dûm. They say that in the reflection of its dark waters, the first Durin beheld a crown of stars above his head. And to mine in Khazad-dûm is a less blunt as a less is less a blunt force affair, and more of an act of revered sculpting, slowly and methodically tending to the stone to uncover the secrets held within. And that is your trivia for today, Got any hot takes? Oh wait, no, we still got some more. Sorry, I was wrong. The ba- the badges on Farazone's tunic are symbolic of the many guilds of Numenor. Each guild has a crest to represent yeah, it.
1: Yeah, like so. Did he actually earn all of those crests? Is what I'm saying. Was he just that kid who was like, "I'm going to be in every single club so that I get to be in every I single like picture that's him. in the year"? But like, like, did he's... he actually do the work?
2: I feel like he was Russell in Up.
1: Okay, but (laughs) with all the different badges. Not as sweet and cute.
2: Definitely not as sweet and helpful. Yeah. He he would have kept on to his GPS. Beep boop boop. (laughs) The Palantiri were made by the Noldor in Valinar, perhaps even by Feanor himself. Objects of incredible power this is the ball, yeah. That they, okay, just making sure that oh, we all
1: that shot was just like Saruman's shot when he does it, mm-hmm. like the out of focus and the hand coming over slowly, like like shot for shot looked just yeah. like it.
2: Yep. Yeah. And the effect that they created when it was started breaking, so we know they're and then gonna it splashed find splashed onto the screen.
1: We know she said they're either mm. hidden. Well, well, or, I oh, got sorry. I
2: got a hot take okay. about that. Uh, the palantir made by the Noldor and Valinor, perhaps even by Feanor himself, objects of incredible power. The full extent of what one can see within them is mere speculation. But they could undoubtedly see across the seas of both water and time To perceive things far off and days remote The language the orcs use is the black speech A tongue used without the love of its words Filled with curses and abuse It was devised for the use of the servants of evil Dwarf women seldom walk abroad from their own realms Giving rise to the foolish beliefs about them amongst outsiders Durin was the name of the eldest of the seven fathers of the dwarves, and the ancestor of all the kings of the Longbeards. Durin I was known as Durin the Deathless, for he lived such a long time, a much greater span than is normal for dwarves. Men have always ranked among the servants of the dark powers. Through pride, they prove easy to corrupt, or to dominate and lastly the king of new menor is considered by many to be one of the faithful those who resist the dominant pull of the kingdom away from its ruse and affiliation with the eldar and the Valar. he tried to bring his kingdom back to the elven ways of its beginnings but in so doing created the strife and rebellion among the people he ruled and that is the final bit of the trivia i apologize for the mistake there ladies and gents Mavin, you got a uh, you got a hot take I mean, well, I got to play the sound. If you do,
1: I I don't have a hot take. I have a question.
2: Oh, all right. Well, all right. Fine.
1: Have I talked about the armor differences on
2: like Arendir?
1: No, no. On the on Arendir? <laughs> Wait,
2: That's what I just said. Booty not trap.
1: Arendir.
2: Arendir? What whatevs?
1: No, not the elf.
2: Okay. Then who?
1: Isildur's dad. Oh, Elendiel. And Elendiel. <laughs> bob. I mean, he looks like a Bob. A nice I'm on bob. Burgundy, like the Bob that you know, your neighbor Bob, who has like cookouts and stuff. No, I feel like he's
2: more of like a. He, I feel like he's a Todd. He's not a Bob. Really? Yeah. No, he's. You know what? The, you know what it is? It's the a, hair. The hair is a Todd hair.
1: No, I feel like
2: he's, if he had short cropped stronger. hair, he. would. If he's he,
1: stronger than a Todd. He's at least Bob level. Anyway. <laughs> Is Isildur's dad. His armor yes. had pecs. Okay. Okay. Sure. Like pecs. Like pecs. Yes. Chiselled out in it. Had a yep. little bit of embellishment. Then the other guys on his ship who had armor straight, no pecs. Hmm, no pecs on theirs. Now he didn't have nipples on his pecs.
2: Well, that's only reserved for George Clooney.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, <Batman. laughs> but theirs were just straight. And yeah. then more of the lower ones, like a Sildor, they didn't even get armor. But yeah, I thought it was well, just very interesting that, you know, to show that you're the captain essentially, you get pecs you pecs. in your armor. <laughs> well, I just didn't know if I brought that up before and yeah. I had to get it off my
2: just. Oh, well, you know, when you are Isildur and you're purposely screwing things up and getting your friends thrown off the boat and ruining their lives single-handedly? He didn't
1: do that on purpose, but I wonder Well, he
2: did do it on purpose, but not he didn't intend to get intend, them undone. Yeah, correct. But then he made up for it anyway by by volunteering for being part of the Queen's
1: I see why he got rid expeditionary of all three, because I think their job was like a three-man job.
2: Yeah. And and, so, but, and that also shows a little bit of characterization for Isildur because He's only considering himself and mm-hmm. not the repercussions for his friend, which, by the way, would probably suit his character for what eventually happens in at the end of the Second Age. Agreed. Which would make sense to me.
1: Who's his brother?
2: Uh, what
1: happened to his dead mom?
2: I don't remember what happened. Which I don't know, woman, remember the brother's name. Which woman
1: keeps singing to him?
2: Probably oh. his dead
1: mom. Because they keep saying they were saying when they were kicking around the chamber pot, all you do is you look towards the land and you talk about your dead mom.
2: Yeah, I bet you the mother and the brother went to Valinor.
1: Is it an older brother, a younger brother? And they said older she's brother. dead. So why is she? Maybe to the him?
2: brother took her to Valinor to like to like bring her back to life, oh. and he hasn't come back.
1: But I think that's who's calling to him.
2: I would I would co-sign on that.
1: It's like Elsa's mom. Do we understand uh, how that yeah. happened? No nope. idea. No idea. Who's the voice? It's actually inside of you, Isildur. Sildor. It's you. Turn around. A new can hear white you, dress. Yes. But I won't. <laughs> can we please make a video with a <laughs> And that. Because he is going into the unknown and he's POPS! That is a Sealdor theme.
2: Oh, That is his theme, friends. Oh, yes, absolutely. He's going on
1: an Elsa journey.
2: He's totally going on an Elsa journey.
1: Did you have a hot take?
2: Uh, I do have a hot take.
1: Awesome. Bring it.
2: Uh, hold on one second. I'm just going to get a vamp for me for See, one more second.
1: I noticed, Pex, you realize the barkeep's the same guy, just without a hat. <laughs> Pulled a fast one on me. I don't uh. know how I feel about Theo.
2: Yeah, I'm still I'm still living on Theo. I,
1: mean, I guess just like teenager.
2: Alright, so the Pal right, here's my here's my hot take. Let me I gotta, I gotta play the sound here. Where's my uh, here it is Alright, so here's my hot take. We have the Palantiri. By the way, Tar Palantiri shares the same name as the Palantiri. The 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 king. That's his name, Tar Parent. Tar Paran... Pal- Palantiri. Why can I not speak today? Uh, Shares the same name. And here's the thing with the whole Palantir thing. We know that Sauron has one eventually. And that's what eventually corrupts him uh, with Sauron in the third age. Hashtag spoilers. But Galadriel says, yes, I've touched one before. Now, I know that she's like wicked old. But how far back have these things been missing? Man, that's what I'm saying. We don't know how far back these things have been missing. I mean, Elrond's dad's with a star, these elves (laughs) live long. So, all I'm saying is this I think Galadriel knows where the other ones are.
1: Maybe she's got one,
2: she might have one. Why not? And they're, I mean, they're used to communicate, you know, across the seas as as the trivia. They were like
1: Alexa's, (laughs) Alexa? Alexa. Play the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power soundtrack. <laughs>
2: You're welcome, world. <laughs> Everyone's Alexa's freaking out right now. So that is my hot take. What do you think about that? I think she knows where the other ones are, okay. and I think this is going to be this is the thing. I think this will be the driving thing for the rest of the season.
1: Ooh, the I have Palantiri. A hot take. Okay. Okay. What? What do you got? Okay, but you can finish your Palantiri thing. And I
2: think the Ring of Power. Mm-hmm. Since they're obviously they're gonna go they're gonna go that route. The ring of power will be forged.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is the name of the series. But the, the ring
2: just... of power will be forged by the end of the season.
1: Okay, cool, good. Leads into my hot take. Okay, what do you got? Why is mm. Kellamimbor? Mim- br- 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 Kele- exactly. God bless you, <laughs> Kellabrimbor. Kele- <laughs> Why is he in such a hurry? You're an elf.
2: Good point. Yeah, like he says, I gotta have it ready for spring. Why? 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 Why do you need it ready for spring? Why? This is. You know Not what? Good. Don't pass the smell test. No. Don't pass the smell test.
1: Did he ask for this after he saw this, the meteor, the starfall? No, no,
2: no, starfall. Ooh, good point. And the fact that the oh. barkeep, the fact that the barkeep was like, hey, do you see the thing that fell?
1: All Sauron's I'm saying, coming. I don't, I don't trust Kellamimbrar. <laughs> I don't trust him. You know? I'm on Burgundy? I'm going to have to give him a name. Uh. Kaleb you know he's a Calvin.
2: He's a Calvin. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Oh,
1: why, why? Why don't you like the name Calvin?
2: I feel. I, mm, no, is it too good? Mm,
1: too good for him?
2: Yeah. No, I feel like he's more of like a. I'm not. I'm not sure yet. Okay, I, I I'll we'll think come
1: about back it. to him. Anyway, uh
2: Brimbori, should I,
1: not be in a hurry.
2: Not passing the smell test.
1: Why are you crabby about Durin?
2: Right. Too many things happen. I keep hearing his name too much. You know, I I always say that. When you hear somebody's name too many times, it's a problem. Not a writing problem, but it's just when you hear somebody's name that much, it ain't good. Because good things happen, that happens. But when bad things happen, name's always repeated.
1: When will Durin die? The elder Durin? No, regular Durin.
2: Regular Durin. Ooh, I don't know about that. I think we could, uh, we're we going to stick with him for a while. I
1: think. Okay, because I love that bromance. I am here for uh, that, that it. Is, I temporarily I... was so afraid that he was dead, and that's why Disa was singing.
2: Oh, good one. Okay. I
1: was so nervous. There's no
2: way he's going to die.
1: Anytime I, soon. I couldn't. I just couldn't even handle it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got to close this bad boy out. Are you ready? Yes. All right, let's close it out. If I can find my button here. Here it is. Guess what? What's that?
1: It's a high treble female voice singing. So just pretend it's not, because this is Furry Sildor on that boat. You know? Yeah. He changed from his blue outfit to his brown outfit, and (coughs) his sister knew. And she was trying to tell him about her date, and he said, No, man. I can hear you. I'm busy listening to things. But I won't. <laughs> Some look for trouble. I'm gonna go chase while my mom others don't. in a iceberg a with a swimming horse. To go I'm gonna get a new and outfit. Whispers, and I'm basically gonna go like hang out with a flaming salamander. Oh. Otherwise known as Sauron. <laughs> Sauron the flaming salamander. <laughs> if I heard you? Which I don't. <laughs> you know
2: he's saying that right now. I don't hear her.
1: I see Sildor's friends being the the Marion Pippin. Oh, absolutely. Characters. Yeah. And in my Elsa dream, yep. they're Anna and Olaf. Ah, okay. Fair enough. I like
2: it. I like it. Oh, here it is. Follow
1: you into the... He's he's running along the shoreline of Numenor, his his left hand outstretched. And then it's nighttime. Uh-huh. They fade to night, uh-huh. and now he's in his jammies, looking out his window. He goes, huh. and he still feels it. What do you want, do you want mom? <laughs> you used to sing me asleep, and now you're Are keeping you awake. Here to distract me awake. So okay, big we're done. <laughs> we're done. No. <laughs> 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 Because this part won't really like. Yeah, it's your mom. Yeah. Maybe your brother. I'm telling you, this is a Sildor song. Yes, we know. Yeah. I mean, here we go. Oh, baby. Here you go. And now, picture him running him down a dock. Yes! Run, Sildor. Run, run, run. dancing in the back too the guy who was a little chubby but wicked funny he comes out the chamber pot guy yes now dance number box step go box step box step and then his dad shows up get on board son they're all singing all of them they all got the pex armor too all of them the queens up front She's singing now, too, (laughs) swaying with the waves, crash waves, crash waves. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Oh, man,
2: that was great.
1: Just so you know, we're going to Disney in less than a month. uh, Yes, we are. Here we go. You can't even try to sing that. mic. no. Bear Rickery would not hire you. No,
2: I I am no Ray bro. I, uh, I'm not, I'm not even, a, I'm, not, I'm nowhere close to Adina Menzel, Adele DeZim,
1: Adele DeZim, God bless you. <laughs>
2: All right, so that is it, ladies and gents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Please go to MaryandBlake if you we bring any kind of light or joy into your day. Consider listening to other podcasts that we are producing at this moment in time, whether it is Outlander Cast or The Potterverse or House of the Dragon. We're here for you. we got a ton of other stuff happening at com, as well as nerdland.com That's our community. You don't want to miss out jointhenerdclan.com.
1: Don't forget, this episode has been sponsored by minutewithmary.com. You can head on over to minutewithmary.com slash discount to grab yourself my favorite mascara at a special listener-only discount. Search the hashtag hashtag minutewithmary to learn some tips and tricks so you can be as fabulous as the Queen region. I mean, her <laughs> makeup is a point.
2: Oh, stunning. Even Deesa's makeup. Deesa's, Woo! oh
1: my gosh. Galadriel, by the way, yep. she had a little extra eyeshadow from time to time when she was moody. Oh, yeah. They put a little extra color. I'm seeing
2: a little shimmer, too, in the corner of his, corners of her eye, like near yeah. her nose. Yeah. Oh, love it. Yeah, I'm all about the white makeup. shimmer life.
1: Mm-hmm. I know you are. Oh,
2: I love the white shimmer. <laughs> I'm good. I'm in.
1: You can learn about the white inner corner eye shimmer <laughs> by searching hashtag Minute with Mary. All right, friends. My name is Mary. My name is Blake. You've been listening to The Rings of Power.